pop. Welcome to Popaholics, the show about hot takes, hot dozens of pancakes, where we're your favorite three bros trying to suck the blood out of your throat. <laughs> if this is your first time, welcome. That's not the intro for every episode. They are tailor-made to the subject at hand. And guess what, boys? Sober September is over. <laughs> <laughs> Party time. Uh, I love I fun accents and a good gin and tonic. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Katie. I am joined by my two favorite co-hosts, Chris Conkling and Brian Dupree. Boys, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about some spooky vampire stuff. Yeah, congratulations on uh, a successful Sober September as well. Yeah, congrats. You made it. Now it's time for Lit 2020 to begin, <laughs> where I'm just uh, very drunk the rest of 2020 uh, before the end of the world. So what are we talking about? Last month was Sober September. I successfully made it a month without drinking. Give me a pat on the back. Thank you very much. We did Waking Life. We did Tree of Life. We did The Fountain of Life. Uh, we did all the life stuff. And talked about some far out movies while remaining uh, completely sober. It was exciting. So check out that month. But we are on. It is October. It's the spookiest of months. Very spooky. So we are. We're doing. You know, last year. What do we do? Killer clowns. Oh, we did. I. Oh With my god. I forgot about clowns. that. Yes. Because Joker had come out. Because yeah. there was once upon a time when movies were coming out, and we our show was geared around the pop culture of what the now was. I don't believe it. And. Uh, yeah, yeah, we were we went outside. We didn't wear face coverings. It was it was pretty awesome. It was a pretty great time. Uh, but but this year, uh, for what reason, Chris? Are we doing vampires? Because this year has sucked the life out of every individual in the world. Let's roll with that. I think that's that. Sure, that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna talk about uh, you know immortal um, reapers of the young, if you will, and get into it. I'm very excited about Vampire Month uh, for the sole reason that I think vampires, as far as old folktale and lore, is something that I honestly have not dived that deep into. I really don't like. I could name. I think I've seen what we do in the shadows, which we will be covering later this month, and um, and like Blade Two. And like maybe the first blade. I can't remember the difference between them. But other than that, I don't know shit about vampires. Well, I'm here to help with that. Are you a vampire expert? I am definitely not a vampire expert. And we're going to get into what I have seen in terms of vampires. Chris's mother's maiden name is Helsing. So um. <laughs> I actually hate the vampire. Uh, but I am a fan of vampire lore. Well, we'll get into it. And uh, we're starting with uh, uh, the first the first episode that we're on right now is Nosferatu. You don't want to retake it? No, this is the trailer. It's This is he's doing. <laughs> oh, Lord. That was from the trailer of Nosferatu. <laughs> I love it. when we cover silent films, because uh, that's a great gag. <laughs> Every time. You guys, I wish you could have seen Christian's face just waiting for us to, to realize it was priceless. No, this is actually Nosferatu. It's the sequel to Nosferatu. <laughs> Nosferat. The sequel to Nosferat. This is Nosferatu. This is really all I have for this episode. This is going to be very interesting. Um, but uh, we're, uh, Nosferatu, 
released in 1922. It is based on Dracula, uh, but as we'll talk about, was made with no <laughs> regards to acquiring rights yeah. to Dracula. Uh, then that, that, that original work was done, uh, was a book by Bram Stoker. It's directed by F.W. Murnau. Murnau. Written by... H- don't, don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> you know what I say? I say Murray yes. I say Murray yes to life. Murray. Uh, Mur- what was it? Murnau? No. It's Murray yes. It's Murman. 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 It was directed by F.W. Murnau, written by Henrik Galen, scored by Hans Erdmann. Uh, with a budget of old-timey money, it grossed new-timey money. No, it grossed nothing. It was a cult hit later. Didn't really receive uh, the accolades that it deserved. Something else we'll talk about. And it stars Matt Schreck as the, uh, Count Orlock, Gustav von Wangeheim, Greta Schroeder, Alexander Granich, George H. Schrell, and then a bunch of other people that are, that are definitely dead now. They're definitely not alive anymore, but uh, rest in peace, all of them. Uh, may they live eternal in vampire heaven. We're going to be talking about our history of vampire films. I kind of alluded to mine earlier. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, our history with Nosferatu and our experience with German expression film, excuse me, German expressionist film, and our overall thoughts of Nosferatu and uh, the themes of this movie, maybe some of the context uh, historically that it has. So let's start with uh, our experience with uh, vampire films. Brian... You've talked the least since we started this, and I need to shut up. So, please, your history with vampire films. So, I actually had a a good time looking through a list of of vampire movies and realizing that I have quite a history. It's funny that you you say you have very little. So, in the group chat, we were recently talking about some um, Disney Channel original movies, one of which that you had gotten advertised to you on Disney Plus that you hadn't seen, Christian. But... I realized one of the first vampire movies I saw was Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, which was a Disney Channel original movie from way back, early 2000s, like 2002 time frame, I I believe. Is is that the one where where the dude from Boy Meets World uh, has a date with the president's vampire daughter? (laughs) This is a different one. I believe it's the father from... They go to a smart house. house. (laughs) Dude, I remember that that movie. Oh my God. It's a throwback with a nanny. It's it's the vampire the, nanny. The vampire is the father from the nanny, uh, the sitcom. But um, oh 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 yeah, throwback. Mm. Sorry, Fr- Franz Dresser. Uh, Fran Drescher, yeah. Fran Drescher, yeah. Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> Franz um, Dresser. But Fran Dresser's dresser is Franz Dresser, right? <laughs> oh so, oh boy. I had. <laughs> Uh, that's staying as that 100% stay. Tell us more about your best. experiences, Brian, with vampire That is movies. the best joke. That is the best joke that I've ever made on this podcast. <laughs> can, we, can we end the show now? Yeah, let's just wrap it up. <laughs> like the whole thing. Please tell us uh, uh, vampire history. Go. So, yeah, I, I ended up coming up with a list here. I have seen, uh, I believe, both uh, the first two Blade movies relative, at a relatively young age. Uh, Underworld, at least the first one. I don't think I saw all of the sequels. Um, the Twilight movies. I actually read all of the Twilight books and saw all of the movies um, back in high school, early high school. And 
I recently saw Fright Night, Kronos, which is uh, an early Guillermo del Toro take on vampires that's really interesting. Uh, I saw The Hunger probably four years ago with David Bowie, which wasn't an amazing movie, but it was cool seeing Bowie on screen. Uh, Vampire's Kiss, which is one of my favorite and most ridiculous Nicolas Cage performances where he may or may not be turning into a vampire and you have to watch it and see because it's incredible and ridiculous uh van helsing which i made a bad joke to earlier and what we do in the shadows so i've seen a bunch of different takes on vampires read a handful of vampire books and am hoping to even expand my uh category further this month and uh nosferatu i did not list there so this is actually my first time seeing that but we'll get into that in in a bit oh that's exciting very cool. Yeah, you 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 love horror films. You're you're one of our go-to horror people. Usually seeing the latest ones that come out. Uh, so it, it makes sense that you have a a large uh, library. And I'm also a vampire myself. So you know, just is true source reference here. Chris, what is your history with vampire flicks? So you know, the vampire is so prominent in pop culture and folklore. It's it's really. I should have looked at a list like Brian did. He he did the smart thing. Uh, and actually looked at a list prior to talking about this particular subject. Um, I haven't seen a lot of uh, the deeper horror vampire movies that Brian was just mentioning, but I, I did see, what was it? My my mom's dating a vampire? What? Mom's got a date with a vampire, yeah. Definitely saw that when I was a kid. I'm a big fan of Halloween, so uh, like any any type of children's vampire media I definitely saw when I was a child. I can't list any of that stuff. In terms of like adult vampire uh, movies though I've seen Nosferatu I've seen What We Do in the Shadows I saw the first Blade movie Underworld uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula from uh, Coppola most of the movies that we are going to be covering this month I've seen outside of Twilight which is going to be the last movie that we covered this month um, Van Helsing I've seen uh, what what was that new was it Dracula the new the the movie that came out a couple years ago is supposed to be part of like the dark universe with Luke Evans playing Dracula. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Mm. Awful, awful movie. Anyway, I've seen that as well. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with, with the vampire genre, but it's so vast. Uh, I mean, this, this is a, a, a figure that has been around for centuries, you know? So the, the media that has covered vampire or Dracula, uh, is is very vast. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, um, uh, vampire lore is is not my forte, and there's so many movies I can think of that are vampire movies, and I'm just like I haven't seen like any of them. Like I've seen the I guess I've seen the Blade trilogy. And, like thinking about it, I think I've seen all those movies and and enjoyed them, especially when I was younger. I don't think, I don't even think I've seen them as an adult. Uh, but that's 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 it. And then then a comedy, what we do in the shadows. I've started Van Hel- Helsing a billion times because I want to like that movie because I love Hugh Jackman. That's also a, like a terrible badass. movie. I love Hugh Jackman. I love Crossbow. I'm surprised you didn't see this in theaters. I'm pretty sure I saw that in theaters. I saw it in theaters. I love stories about like hunters. Like I like the idea of a man who's like got to hunt down evil things. That's so badass. But that movie is actively terrible. <laughs> And so, so yeah, my, my vampire history is just so thin and like, I'm thinking of interview with the vampire. I don't know if he's actually a vampire, but I think he is in that movie. And that's like a, a, a really popular film from the nineties, the I believe. 
And uh, so, and then you got all the Dracula films, you got this long history of, of vampires in cinema, of course, Twilight, which uh, we'll be covering. And what's really cool is all these movies, with the exception of what we do in the shadows, I have, uh, or as we have it in our show notes, <laughs> what do we do in the shadows? <laughs> which I don't know how we came to that joke, but uh, made me giggle uh, nonetheless. But I haven't seen any of these vampire movies, so I'm excited to dive in. Now, my, my, the one vampire movie that I wanted to see was Dracula 3000. We will not, <laughs> it's very sad, uh, Popaholic's write in please i am begging you write in and demand that we watch dracula 3000 as a bonus ep or something i offered uh, I, to do record a commentary track for dracula 3000 so fellow popaholics if that's something you want to do let us know yeah let us know if you want to do a commentary or you just want us to watch it and do like a regular ep i uh, would love to hear from you uh but yeah so so vampire and you know i love the concept of a vampire i mean the you know immortality uh, needing to feed off of others to survive like a parasite almost. Uh, it's very interesting dynamics. I've just never seen it brought to life in a way that really interests me other than like the the comedy of it or in, in Blade's case, like, you know, a really cool hunter tale of like, oh, it's just a good villain to have. Whereas I think there's a, which, you know, there are good villains in, in Blade and stuff, but I, I, I just like, it's such a, it's such ripe with potential. I'm sure there's amazing stuff out there that I just haven't seen. So I'm glad we're doing this to give me an introduction, but I will be the least, in, <laughs> this will be a shocker to everybody. I'm going to be the least informed, least knowledgeable about vampires this whole month. So it'll be a fun ride. So, uh, having had that conversation, uh, obviously uh, me and Brian hadn't seen those for Um, and so this was our first times and, uh, I don't think I've seen any other German expressionist films. I don't know what this list of movies is. Uh, but uh, Chris, I'd like you to uh, answer this question. This wasn't your first time seeing Nosferatu, I'm imagining. And you've seen other German expressionist films? Yeah. So in college, um, when we were in film school, early days, I took a history of film course. And one of the sections of the, that course was German expressionist films. Um, so like Nosferatu... Uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, M, uh, Metropolis, movies like those. Um, mm. I haven't seen M and Metropolis in their entirety, but uh, I have seen Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu. So the last time I watched this movie was about a decade ago uh, in like 2009, oh. 2010, and I hadn't revisited it since. And oh boy, were there a lot of things that I uh, didn't, didn't recognize in in the film but we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into that much later <laughs> when we talk about themes. Uh, yes yes we will brian what about yourself uh this is your first viewing in nosferatu have you seen any other german expressionist films yeah so i had been meaning to watch nosferatu forever i knew it was a horror classic and just a a film staple and because of it being in my amazon prime queue for so long kind of misled you not to uh spoil spoil your story here but um yeah the only other expressionist film that i'd see I, I was looking through some of the lists and there's a couple that i want to watch some that were around the same time as this but um metropolis i've seen a couple of times and i was actually able to see it one time with a live organ accompaniment which um, that's really cool was amazing yeah at the tampa theater our, our local um independent cinema here but yeah um metropolis fritz lang's sci-fi classic uh co-written by him and his wife thea von harbo and yeah that movie i i don't want to get too much into my nosferatu opinions but metropolis you can't 
not see how influential it is watching it um, these days, right? It's just there's so much of the visual language that has come to define cinema that was present back then. And yeah, um, it's, it's wild to see how at the very beginning of film, there's still so much that um, fundamentally has been there from the start, even with a lot of the progressions in tech and obviously cameras and, and digital and everything. But yeah, um, I, I'm always surprised when I come back to these movies, even if there's elements that maybe don't hold up in a modern context with acting and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about our overall thoughts on Nosferatu. Chris, let's start with you. Uh, I, I really like this movie to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I know it's difficult to watch silent films often. You know, we covered the gold rush earlier in, was that this year? I can't even remember anymore. It was, yeah. yeah. Earlier in the year, we covered Charlie Chaplin's the gold rush. And I think all three of us were pretty keen on that film. We liked it a lot. Um, I think Nosferatu is a little bit older than the gold rush and I think it's it's probably a little harder to watch for some people, de- depending on the cut that you see. Um, <laughs> but uh, I there are a lot of things to love about this movie, especially considering that this is like the grandfather of all horror films. This is like the original horror film, basically. And there are a lot of things that Murnau does in this movie that translate into modern and contemporary horror filmmaking. I think... Uh, he does a lot of excellent things with framing in the film, placing characters in these very intricate and pointy and scary uh, kind of archways a lot of the time. I love the the set dressing for this movie. I think is excellent. Max Shrek uh, looks like a real vampire. And I, I, I do want to point out some urban legend uh, about this movie. There is a rumor that... Uh, Murnau actually found a real vampire in Max Shrek to portray Count Orlok in Nosferatu. Uh, obviously, that's not the case, but he embodied Nosferatu and Count Orlok so well, and uh, his movements are so eerie, and the uh, the costume design for him is so well put together that people were shocked to see it on screen, and they thought that potentially Max Shrek could be an actual living or I guess an undead uh, vampire, which I think is really cool. Um, There's some really awesome shots in terms of using shadows in this movie that it's uh, compositions that you just didn't see in this era of filmmaking Um, shots where Nosferatu's creeping upstairs into like Ellen's bedroom and you literally do not see him at all, but they're utilizing his shadow to make him seem more monstrous and terrifying and otherworldly. And, uh, you know, by, by, by contemporary terms, by modern day sensibilities, this isn't a scary movie anymore, but it is a well-crafted movie and, uh, Nosferatu just in terms of monster design is one of my favorite monster designs of all time. Very well put. Brian, your thoughts watching Nosferatu for the first time. Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed this movie as well. I thought it did. Uh, a lot of stuff different from some of the other ones that we've mentioned, Metropolis and uh, The Gold Rush that we had watched. Um, the music was absolutely amazing. I thought the score throughout was wonderful. All of the, you know, the full orchestra and hearing it so clearly being that um, 
I don't know. It just made me want to see this movie live, basically. But um, something that I thought was really interesting was, and I'm not sure if it was this way on every version, but the, now he's blank on, the, are they called title cards or dialogue cards? Yeah. Um, depending on the character and the situation, the style and calligraphy of the dialogue of the of the dialogue cards would change which is something that something like in in the modern age the sandman i know was kind of famous for doing that in comic books so it's interesting to see this happening you know in the 20s with this movie the acting is ridiculously melodramatic and huge in a way that it's hard to really um you know it, it just feels like very over the top in in a modern sense but but it um, has to be of course, right? like, of course. With silent film, like we talked, sorry to interrupt, with silent yeah. film, like we talked about with the gold rush, like they have to overact uh, to sell what type of emotion they're experiencing because they can't say anything. Right. No. And I, I definitely understand that it didn't fully take me out of it or anything. I have to shout out the set design. And I know Albin Grau was one of the guys who was very involved in the production capacity and the set design. And yeah, uh, just some of the castles and the giant rooms and the external shots this movie is visually stunning and even with you know it's i'm not sure that the the name of the uh it's not widescreen but uh we got the the square views but like you said the way everything is composed is really well done and yeah i gotta shout out the way shadows are used because this is black and white well to some degree black and white they're really using what they can and it's still even though it's not actively terrifying you can understand why it's like um there's something subconscious about the way that his why he's scary is presented and how he can be there without even being on screen one thing I want to mention um, before we get to you, Krishna, if that's okay, uh, in the cut that Brian and I watched, and this wasn't the case in the cut that I saw 10 years ago, the cut that I saw 10 years ago was straight black and white. Um, but with this updated, I think it, I can never pin down if it was a 2013 cut that we watched, Brian, or a tw- uh, 2006 cut that we watched. Either way, this was like an HD cut of the film. And what they did was they used... Um, different color tones to help the viewer distinguish between darkness and daylight, which uh, I think helps a lot. I think it helps build um, story a lot because when, when a film is black and white, it's often difficult to distinguish between daylight and nighttime. Um, And because there are a lot of scenes that take place in, in both the day and the night, and it's important to be able to distinguish between those two things, especially in this film, I did appreciate them using like the deep blue color tone and the kind of yellowish color tone to distinguish when a room was lit and when a room is dark. Um, I don't think that was the case in the cut that you watched, right, Christian? Uh, That's a great transition to the (laughs) cut that I watched. Um, You know, <clears throat> to, to to start on a positive note, I think all those things you said are true. I think understanding the context of, of the year that it came out in, which was 1922, which was at this point, uh, we're literally two years away from a century ago. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. Oh it's my a, gosh. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of time. It's a bit of time. And, and to see, you know, some of these shots of uh, Nosferatu coming completely upright uh, on the captain ship, like that whole scene, him creeping around, the use of shadows. There's a point where he's kind of faded, mm-hmm. it's in and kind out, of like cross dissolved yeah. fr- um, film. So from you know me, I'm a special effects guy. Uh, that kind of stuff is incredible. Like oh my god, they and like 
that's just off of their own like intuition and imagination like they're not there's no reference for that that's literally them like making up those terrifying elements which is it can't be discredited what what that means to film and like you said the horror genre and how important this film is so obviously watching a movie that's a century old like when they first were like uh, we can we can cut it together and, and make different scenes let's try it um like literally we're we're right after that point <laughs> and and these are the kinds of films that are watching so it's it's not fair to to judge it uh that being said, at least the cut that I watched, because I even tried, because with these older films, like even Gold Rush, we have the same thing, where it's like, what cut are we watching? Because this varies with title cards, right. which is the whole narrative of the film, the music that happens in a silent film, and how it's cut, and the, the level of exposure and uh, post-editing to get it in digital format. Um, it was... It was one of my least favorite things I've ever watched in my life. Oh, that's <laughs> oh disheartening. My gosh. So I don't know if, a, I mean, a better cut would have helped. Uh, but to give you an idea of what this film starts with on the end. So to clarify the cut that we're all talking about, uh, the cut that I watched is the one that pops up first on Amazon Prime. And I tried to confer with Brian which cut it was because I saw there was several different options. I was like, okay, this might be, did a little research on the film. Like, you know, this film was burned. Uh, it was like ordered that all the, the old film be burned. And so this is like an old, like an old cut. And, you know, there's so many hands that this has gone through. Plus, it was a movie that was not illegally able to be made in the first place, right. which also is an interesting part of the story. So as you can imagine, it's into different hands. And as it's gone into the public domain and, and, and people can just grab it and cut it and, and, and kind of format it how they want. So there's a lot of different versions of this available. I watched the first one that is available on Amazon Prime. And um, I can only describe the music as assaulting to uh, the senses, as as oh, as straight my. up. I, I was I'm watching so it and was like, "This is this is uh, this is outright uh, <laughs> offensive to my ears." I'm a singer songwriter, so I don't want to act like I'm an asshole and know everything about music. There's a lot of different styles and stuff. This was actively just annoying to hear. Just an annoying. There's no dynamics. It was just... I actually, before we started this, I recorded myself playing organ uh, to give you an idea of what I was hearing. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the entire soundtrack bottled into one. That is what it sounded like to me. The entire, the, I'm saying it like took a break in some moments and oh my God, it was, it was a reprieve. It was a reprieve. So I actually stopped the movie 15 minutes in. I, I stopped it. Also, the title cards aren't aligned in this cut. I saw that. They're, they're misaligned. They call Count Orlock Count Dracula and then call him Count Orlock later. Oh, no. They call a Professor Van Helsing and then call him something else later. The narrative is like broken in this. Uh, it's um, it's it's a bad cut. So I actually recognized that something was amiss and thought maybe Brian was mistaken. Let me try to watch a different cut. So they have this uh, triple feature cut of all of them. And I put it on and go to where I was at. And the music was a billion times better. 
but the film was so underexposed that it was hard to see what was happening on screen. So I played this up for another cut and you can't see what's happening. It's so underexposed. And so the music's better, but I can't really make out. It looks like a Rorschach painting. It's like shapes moving in. And I go like, ah, there, this is, this is not good. But I had put off watching this film until um, last night. So I was kind of like, well, I got to barrel through the fucking organ. So I just turned it down a lot. It, 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 to be fair, it does ease up a little bit. But uh, through the cut I watched, it was very hard to follow the plot. It was very hard. I, I mean, again, title cards were cut off. And they matter. Um, I mean, that's how you distinguish what the narrative of the film is in a silent movie via the title card. And there's so much title card on this. Like, relative to the other stuff I've there seen, are. there are long dialogue cards or yeah. title cards. Right. And, I mean, I got the basic plot, um, but it was hard to figure out where, because of the kind of the dream things that are happening, it was kind of hard to figure out where... Uh, the 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 count orlock was and what had happened to him and, and what, what, like place and time so um you know it's it, it is i do want to make it clear that i understand that this that that the cut probably ruined it and i, I agree but I, I i think that is an important thing to talk about when talking about this movie definitely um so chris can you can you take the time to tell li- listeners where you've seen this movie a couple times we know there's different cuts. Where is the cut? And how do you find the cut that you recommend? The 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 best. So here here's the deal. The the best cut that I have seen out of the two times that I've seen it. Um, currently, iTunes is selling this movie in HD, and it is I think the most recent cut available. Like I said earlier, I think it's either the 2006 cut or the 2013 cut on iTunes. It says 2013, but I even commented. Uh, when I first started watching the movie in our in our chat, that it's amazing how you know a a ninety eight year old film looks so good in HD. So I'm I'm really I'm yeah. I'm bummed I'm bummed that you yeah and the cut on Amazon Prime is like old it's old film yes it's like the worst quality film I mean it is grainy and it is and the the, the I mean I, I imagine this is in the original but there's so many jump cuts there's so many weird weird cuts happening and I, I imagine that's in the original film but on top of the amount of grain and dirt I mean this needs a clean this really does need a clean uh, resurrection if you will right uh, so Brian I mean I I purchased the movie but Brian you were able to see what I believe is the same cut streaming right yeah it was actually available on Tubi there so you go. It's, so it's you just have to endure Tubi, yeah. some commercials, right? Yep, exactly. And that's about it. So I, I would and recommend... not listen to your bad friend Brian's recommendations about where to watch it. It's, it's Sorry, not Brian's Christian. fault. It was an accident. I implore you, though, Chris, uh, I need you to watch this bad cut of it and tell me, be like, I need you to convince me that it's worth you know watching this, this better one. Cause, Dude, I had a uh, great time watching watching this hd cut i'm 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 sorry that you had that experience because i don't want this movie to be ruined for you permanently i i hope that at some point you go all right i'm gonna go visit this other cut but i totally understand if you don't based on the experience that you had uh i when brian sent us the link of the the cut that you ended up watching i did actually go and watch part of it and jump in and immediately i was like oh no (laughs) did you hear the organ uh, a little bit, yeah. I didn't watch for too long, but as soon as I saw that the title cards were like to the side and jittery, uh, I was like, "This is gonna be this is gonna be interesting." 
It reminds me of when I show people music and I actually send them like the wrong demo where I didn't balance out anything. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. Do not open that file. Uh, but but I did want to like clarify that I still was able to glean a lot of history, and because I am a cinephile, uh, self-proclaimed, uh, I I really did enjoy uh, elements of it where I'm like, this is pretty revolutionary stuff happening on on film, and there, there's a lot to be gained from it. Um, but it is an, an imperative that you uh, get your you watch a proper cut of the film. I would agree. So do you? Uh, let's move on into the themes of this film. As I said before, it was hard for me to glean much more, um, but I did I did get the sense of what we're going to talk about, um, which is an interesting conversation. Chris, why don't you start off uh, with some of the themes of the film? So prior to me watching it again, uh, Brian was the first of us to rewatch it or watch it for the first time in this case. And uh, he started to point things out to us in our group chat that seeing it 10 years ago, uh, I had watched the movie and been like, this is one of the coolest vampire movies I've ever seen. Um, uh, but I didn't pick up on some of the more unsettling themes that this movie is uh, projecting. Um, and if you, if you take the movie and you think about when it was made, the country that was, it was made in and kind of the view of a particular group of people at that point being, you know, the Jews, uh, you start to see a lot of anti-Semitic imagery in this film. Mostly uh, the design of Count Orlock, which really sucks because I just you know said that he's one of my favorite monster designs of all time. But when you put it in that context uh, and you start to think about it, which I didn't as a 20-year-old, uh, you start to begin to realize that he has a lot of exaggerated features um, He's also, instead of being more bat-like, uh, like you traditionally see in modern uh, vampire media, he's more rat-like, which uh, is what the Jewish community was compared to in 1922 Germany. You know, they were, you know, they were essentially compared to vermin. Uh, and throughout history, even before this movie, the vampire folklore has always illustrated vampires as like the other or the forbidden or uh and and whether that be something terrifying or something uh sexual that's kind of the role that they've they've had throughout history and in the case of and and bats are like flying rats right basically um in the case of nosferatu the premise of the film is that a real estate agent is sent to Transylvania to speak with Count Orlock about purchasing a home in his hometown. <laughs> it sounds like a comedy set up to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but but Bad with neighbors, him, part one, right? I mean, I mean, at least in the cut that I saw, the the <laughs> guy who gives him the lead on Count Orlock, he's like, he might ask for a little blood too. Don't let him get too close. Right. You know well, what we mean, dude? we later find out that Knock, uh, the the boss of our, our lead character, Thomas Hutter is actually like the familiar or has been transitioned into the familiar of count Orlock. So he's kind of doing his dark bidding from afar. So I just want to say on that point, um, because it's debated whether the 
anti-Semitism in this movie was intentional or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's kind of known that these images and how Count Orlock looks was used as kind of a template for Nazi propaganda and what the Third Reich did use. Chicken and egg situation. Right. It could have been adapted later on. So it wasn't intentionally that to begin with, but it was basically bastardized into that. Potentially, right? Like like you said, um, we'll get into um, the, the other and my opinions on that as well. But I just wanted to say that um, for better or for worse, Alexander Gronick, who plays Nock, is actually a Jewish man. So him being the familiar... I think it makes it even more problematic in a strange way, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, just just something to note there. But it's, again, it might not be intentional. Yeah, so. exactly. But yeah, uh, there there are definitely anti-Semitic themes uh, visible in the film, intentional or not. Based, but on- I don't know if so. So I read that, and I actually watched the film, going like, "This is a German film with like uh, this is a German film with like a devilishly paled." crooked nosed like bloodsucker wealthy and there's a bunch of and there's a bunch of rats that are shown on screen all the time so of course i i thought of this and then i read it and i was like oh this was a thing but i'm not sure that there's any etymology i don't know if that's the right word but it doesn't seem like there's other than the again the imagery that nazis used and hitler uh, hitler's third reich used it didn't seem like there was any overtly thing of like Count Orlock was from this land afar. You know what I mean? It, 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 it like in, in the realm of milk and honey. Like there was no biblical references to them, like the, the tribal um, Israelites. There was no, you know, there's nothing beyond the imagery that was enacted. Used so it, it's it's kind of like a um, uh, like a Pepe the Frog kind of thing, which I don't want to get into. Like we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but you know that's kind of where imagery becomes its own thing, even though the intention wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not understanding enough of that whole situation. I don't want to bring up any like weird baggage, but it is kind of like this whole thing that wasn't meant to be that, um, right. pointed to that. Well, yeah. and ultimately, so right. The movie is trying to say they're blaming the plague on this figure Dark who, force that Cal- is yeah. coming and literally moving into the neighborhood. Right. So right. It's, it is kind right. of on the page there. Uh, I will say in terms of outside of how he's presented, um, on one of the notes, and I'm not sure if this is in the cut that you watched, Christian, but the the note that Nock has that's in this like cryptic language that he gets from Orlock, um, there is a Star of David on there. And if you look into the producers of this movie, they were definitely at least uh, a bit familiar, if not very familiar with the occult and a lot of things from Kabbalah, especially around this time, were being integrated into these esoteric magical practices. Mm. So again, this could be something that today, you know, it looks like the Star of David. It could be, I don't know, like I said, it does seem like there's something there that is very too easy to make him, to make me think in the modern day that there clearly is implications to Judaism that, um, you know, Mm. maybe weren't as explicit when the movie came out, but... With 2020 eyes, it's hard to yeah. not see it. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Of course. Well, and again, that fear of the other is just like a really good blanket statement for how the people react to what they don't understand, right? Exactly. But uh, in the context of the film, it's like, they're like, Count Orlock is legitimately like sucking people's blood. And it, to me, it was more of, a, you know, the weird correlation that I drew, which is kind of weird. But there's that we that there's that conspiracy theory. I, I hate to use that word. Um, that word is is like a really problematic word in 2020. But there is people that discuss 
that rich people uh, use the blood of the young to make themselves <laughs> like new again, right? There is a there is there is conversations happening about that. Uh, to what end? I, I, I think there's uh, it's, it's a fascinating rabbit hole to go down. Um, blood <laughs> boys. Blood, blood, blood boys. Is that what we're, we're not the blood boys. We're not associated. No, we're there's not. no, there's no, no, no ties. No. If that's a real, I don't, group. I don't. <laughs> who do you, who do you want me to say? Sure. Blood boys. <laughs> stand, stand back. back stand, stand by. by. Wait by the blood bank. Um, so. Wait by the blood bank. Uh, yeah. God I was thinking damn. of like that theory of like um, the things it, it, that, that, that feed and it kind of like analogous to, and I don't know if they were ever having this intention, but analogous to kind of slave labor or kind of like, uh, you know, machine, like systematic machinery that kind of preys on people and has actually all the opulence in the world. You know, one of the scenes that really stuck out to me was when our main character uh, goes to uh, Count Orlock's uh, castle uh, and there's all that food, mm-hmm. right? There's all the opulence. There's all this cake and, and stuff. And uh, Count Orlock has no use for it, right? but it's everything a mortal man wants. And for him, all he actually needs is the life force of, of our main character. Living, right. Yeah. And I, I found that very interesting. And I, I, I thought there was, there was something to that, that, that spoke to me about uh, kind of the, the need of the, the elite shadowy figures that run things and, and how they, uh, they feed off of, uh, I mean like not shadowy figures, but <laughs> Brian is just just saying Jews, uh, and and that that's what it is. Um, no, no, I'm just the fact that you went to modern conspiracy theories, and then you talked about the global power structure of like, <laughs> yeah, um, this sounds very straight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Then you're right. I, but I mean, I didn't see it as like I don't know. Shadowy figures was a bad turn of phrase. I mean, like McDonald's, right? No, I completely. So I just to put to McDonald's put a point is not the, run by the Jews. A, just no, I know, I know. To put a point on the anti-Semitic <laughs> stuff, I think I haven't read Dracula, but I I imagine um, some of at least the basic plot and some of the stuff pulled from this, outside of maybe character design, could have been pulled from the book. So, but Christian, no, I love the idea that you're bringing up as vampires as uh, almost like a metaphor, right? So in this movie. They don't. He doesn't always kill his victims, right? Or he kills them slowly over time. So this idea that the way he lives, literally, it's at the cost mm. of the people who are beneath him societally. And I think that's a really powerful element of like what vampire vampirism could be, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know. I and maybe it's a good thing that when I think of that, I'm not immediately going like, and you know who's to blame? The Jews. <laughs> like, yep. um, but you can, you can definitely see the core. I think it, there, there's definitely a real conversation. I, I did, I was not saying my counter arguments to the whole, like potentially it's a little chicken and egg situation as a, as a counterpoint, dismissing any of these, these thoughts. It's more of like, um, using such a powerful imagery and then weaponizing it right where it's to me i'm seeing this and i'm feeling these things but it's not towards it i'm not watching this getting scared of an ethnic group or like a particular set of people other than power structures right in a sense so i i think that's like to its point it is capable of that and there is this like otherly quality and i think it gets real uh, iffy when you're like and you know who it is it is (laughs) this exact set of people right that have uh you know 
nationalistic characteristics that that we can define. So uh, I I think that's where there's this uh, this li- uh, you know line of you, you get what you put in, and uh, obviously 1920, 1922 in Germany, um, some things happened. Things started transpiring for sure. Like, can you imagine if uh, Avengers Endgame had come out like in 1922, you know, and then Hitler took over it and like it was a German film, you'd be like heavily inspired by like Thanos or, you know, something. I don't know. There'd be, there, you could, you could, I, 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 that's a terrible example. Awful example. Straight from just, the record. But, I, I understand what you're saying though, that like you can, you can take popular imagery and, uh, like I said earlier, bastardize it and warp it and transition it into something mm-hmm. of use um, for whatever cause you're trying to perpetuate, you know? And this was... Yeah, Pepe the Frog. Right, I mean, this was the beginning of the medium, right? Like, people were still coming yeah. to terms with the power of cinema and what visual language could propagate and the type of ideas that could be pushed through that, right? So, um, yeah, definitely something to be said there. Um, just... Are you saying Nosferatu was a was a uh, fascist right wing meme? I think it, I think we're I think we're discovering that it was. Memes go way back before tech, but that's that's a whole different conversation. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. There, I think I think there's an analogous story to, um, you know, art co-opting and popular images. And, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, for I'm, sure. I'm sure there's something. Yeah, yeah. So just in terms of. Uh, Chris, you briefly mentioned something about um, othering in terms of sexuality. So um, something that this movie does, which it actually made me think of a scene in which it's played for laughs in this movie, but in Rocky Horror Picture Show, when um, the the Transylvanian basically sleeps with the husband and wife both. But in this, it's, I'm not going to say it's... um, implied gay sex but the fact that he sneaks into this man's room in the middle of the night and does this to him there's something implied there and he's kind of lusting after his wife as well so there is something kind of like especially at the time sexually deviant uh about nosferatu that um you know in in those times may have been seemed very like uh faux pas even if you you point out two oh sorry i was gonna point out how i think the most disturbing scene is the one where it's just a really uncomfortably long shot of Nosferatu just on his neck. You know, there's a shot with like him in bed mm-hmm. and he's just sitting over there on the neck for a long time. There are multiple and shots still like that. And he's like point and he's like staring into the camera. Right. Yeah. Not, not cool. It's, it's that was creepy. Yeah, very creepy for sure. I, th- I, th- I think this film, while there are some sexual elements within it, like you're talking about, Brian, I don't think they are as, overtly expressed as in other vampire material sure um it, it focuses but for the t- but for the time i mean his time, wife gets yes. up out of bed opens the door and thrust her body mm-hmm. towards the door it's it, she like gives up herself well, the one thing to be I, taken by the vampire and, and i i actually want to mention that a little bit um for a different reason but uh there there when ellen is reading the book about vampires uh, and how to defeat them she is almost like attracted to the darkness you know uh, you can see it in the way that she's acting before uh girls Hunter love a com- bad comes into the room and discovers sure. that she's been reading the book and, and all that stuff but um so yeah i'm not going to totally deny that like there are some sexual aspects to this film i just think it's more prevalent in modern day uh vampire material like true blood and twilight and, oh, and all sure, that stuff of course. contemporary vampire material has really leaned into the 
um, the kind of sexy, s- the, the sexy. sexy, sexual forbiddenness of, of vamp vampire or vampirism, I guess you'd say. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that's what this film is focusing on. I think it's more focused on the fear aspects and the othering, like you said, Brian of count Orlock, um, whatever he may be representing. But one thing I did want to point out is that, uh, something you obviously didn't see very often in the, this time period is, uh, you mentioned Christian that Ellen sacrifices herself to basically rid the town of the darkness because she learns that only through, uh, drinking like a pure maiden's blood and forcing him to stay awake past, uh, daybreak, he can be, you know, vanquished completely. Um, and, and she, actively tricks her husband into leaving the house knowing that Count Orlock is coming for her so she can sacrifice her life to to save the town. And uh, that's that's like some female heroism that just I don't think exists a whole lot in in early cinema. Uh, and, and that is something that stuck out to me on this second watch of the, the movie. I don't know if you guys picked up on that or you thought anything about that, but... I mean, she's kind of like a you know virgin sacrifice in a, in a sense. But she's so, actively I mean, choosing. She's not a victim. That's the thing. Sure, that's fair. That's fair. Because yeah, she it felt. I mean, because like I said, she sends her husband away on purpose, knowing. Yeah, I can see how you read it that way. It definitely didn't come across as like, man, this is early, early twentieth century feminism at its finest. No, uh, I, that and, didn't and I don't. <laughs> I don't think Renaud was kind of thinking that either. But I mean, with twenty twenty eyes, you can look having at it. a woman play an act, make an active decision for uh, the main plot of the film. I think that's a. I think that's a great call out. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't know if you guys thought this as well, but looking at the actress that played Ellen. The first couple scenes with her, I was like, she has a weird resemblance to Kristen Stewart. Like, I I know that's very bizarre Mm. considering, like, Kristen Stewart's history with the Twilight films. And, you know, she's moved on past that. She looked like the most hungover (laughs) Zoe Dachanel I've ever seen in my life. And I think that's just how the film, you know, the lighting. Yeah. They also had to wear a lot of makeup uh, in that era of of filmmaking. I will say she had a lovely She had the raccoon eyes. (laughs) I'm glad you 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 pointed that out, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second that I'm on my we like, have already oops, discovered it, that Brian is indeed a vampire, so it makes sense that he would point something like that out. If I'm on my first like like big reality lead, and uh, the guy that I'm selling the condo to that's like looking it, like he can see into my house, and he goes like, "Your wife has a lovely neck." I'd be like, "That's fantastic." I will never talk to you again. <laughs> I'm. So leaving. I don't I don't know what your title card said, but our title cards, the way that scene reads is your wife has a lo- lovely neck. And then he goes, I'll be buying the house across from yours, at which point Hutter goes, yes. And then uh, Count Orlock frantically signs the, the, the lease to buy the, <laughs> the house. No, my title card says, wow, your wife has a lovely neck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then the organ was like. <laughs> I mean, it was incomprehensible. I mean, the guy could have been playing like fusion jazz and it could have been awesome, but he, he like it, it just rung out across the entire. I mean, it was it was very bad. I um I have I, I, I was starting to take notes because I was like, OK, I have to pay attention and like I need to be able to say something because right now I'm just frustrated and my notes read uh, opening credits and the organ is assaulting my face. 
Next note. I'm 13 minutes in and I'm done with this organ. Next note. The organ is a bad instrument. <laughs> <laughs> Just an anti-organ. And then the, the next next note is bury it in the mix for God's sakes. And the next one is I have anxiety. Oh. And then, uh, and then my next note is a uh, meme the cop face, and that's just I don't I didn't know how I was going to bring this up. There's a moment where the cops are and uh, talking to the familiar, mm-hmm. and the cop has this great like shit eating inquisitive grin on his face, and I was like, uh, this is my favorite moment of the movie, and I don't know how to describe it in the context of this podcast, so I'm doing it now, and it was only through me jokingly reading my notes. Uh, but I will find that frame, and that will be the title card for this uh, episode. I promise. Chris, make it happen. If you let me know which frame you want, I'll, uh, it's, I'll do it. It's halfway through the organ. Uh, it's the guy who has a full <laughs> head of hair on his beard. It's definitely... Yeah, his mustache. Uh, his mustache. <laughs> Uh, looks like my mohawk that I had when I was younger. I mean, it's like, he's, like but on his fucking face. There are it's some fantastic. pretty intense. It, it, I love how Brian hairs. knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'll need to go back. I'll need to go back and find it. So did I take? I a just picture? want to shout out. This is. It's supposed to be a werewolf, but it's just this adorable little hyena. I was like, no one thought this is a werewolf, and it's it's implied, but uh, or they actually say like, watch out, there's a werewolf out yeah, tonight. Look out for the werewolf, and, and then there's like, a hyena wandering around. It's just, just a, adorable. It's just a rabid dog, yeah. like an albino. It's like an albino. Um, I mean, at least in the cut that I saw, it was like super exposed, and it, it's it just totally like a hyena. Albino. Yeah, it makes me wonder what a hyena was doing in like Germany at the time. But uh, yeah, it could have just been at a zoo or something. Who knows? Yeah. But or if it was some type of B footage that they were able to procure and just cut into the film. I was wondering about the Venus flytrap stuff because that was actually incredible to see that on yeah. film and to catch that live and just you know obviously with the themes of of uh, Orlock tricking everyone. But I actually love how the spore how he's cutting back between the spore and knock yeah that polyp that right scene. it's like microbial type, mm-hmm. type of thing mm-hmm. and it's like taking over as knock is being consumed by by his master's darkness as he pulls oh, into the harbor right i think that's like an excellent uh juxtaposition and that i i think Murnau was like one of the first people to intercut between two separate actions like yeah. not everybody was doing this in film at that point obviously the media being so new but um it's masterfully done and it gets the the message across perfectly i think of what's happening to knock in that moment i i totally agree and i just want to say that the pirate movie within this movie is one of my favorite parts of this movie i can barely see it still christian yeah i oh i know i'm very aware of how that's that's how overexposed this entire fucking cut is is that they look like they don't have faces uh yeah hold on let me uh yeah pirate scene please continue brian because that that is a really really great scene. no yeah it's like you said chris this was possibly one of the first times that there was um cutting back and forth between scenes happening simultaneously but yeah we get the rising up out of the coffin scene there we also get the like you brought up earlier christian the fading in and out on top of them it's um it's really where the movie begins to climax and kind of doesn't stop until the end at that point. But yeah, some of the character work with the pirates who end up inevitably dying quickly was just my favorite. I'm like, I could watch these guys in a whole separate movie and be fully pretty entertained. Blo- pretty blood. I mean, when they find, when the, when the, the police officers find the bodies, there's like blood everywhere. Yeah. Like it's surprisingly gory. Yeah. 
one of my favorite shots is the one of uh, Nosferatu on the. Or I don't. Is that is that what his name is? Is that he's he's Nosferatu? Nosferatu's like the vampire. He goes by yeah, yeah. Counter- like a, like a general a general species basically you know oh okay. sure okay okay so you have Count Orlock and he's like on the balcony of his like new house and he's like staring across like that that image is is dope oh man he's like creeping like, behind these like yeah. bars or something he almost looks jailed but yeah it's so creepy yeah yeah and he's these long fingers A ton of creepy imagery in the movie I love it. Yeah, hold on. I've got to actually. Uh, so I've played my joke score, which is what I played as the organ that I've been playing this episode, and and I'm I'm just gonna play a little bit of the actual score from this from this uh, Amazon Prime cut. I don't think we can get sued. It's free fair use or something. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, that's bad. That's really bad. That was yeah. harsh. Yeah, that's. We should probably give our listeners like a headphone warning or something. Ugh. Make it stop. Yeah, I would I would have turned it off as well. <laughs> 90 minutes. That is That's terrible. Yeah, when you're like, "Oh, the score." Ugh. I mean, that's I technically not what we heard. 90 minutes, right? Christian. Your cut was shorter than ours. <laughs> this was the episode Guys, this was the movie that I almost was like Podcast guys and sorry to watch the movie <laughs> yeah, well i mean i i won't i will be very inactive in it oh my god i have like ptsd i was I, I was like yelling at erica she's like laying next to me and she, she's like going to sleep she's like i'm just gonna go to bed and i was like i i don't know what to do i don't know what to do i i hate existence right now i can't get through this <laughs> I really do hope you can give it like a couple weeks. Try to squeeze in a yeah. rewatch of this particular cut before Halloween because I want you to yeah. see a decent cut of this movie. And like I said earlier in the episode, I do not blame you at all for your opinion of this film based on what you saw. Uh, I would feel the exact same way. Oh, that's very empathetic of you. And way to align with me, Chris. You're welcome. Love how you sook to understand my, my place. But I, I, I agree. Listeners, I will try to revisit this before the end of the month so I can come back with uh, a better a better conversation other than um, I, I hate organs. You know who loves organs? Oh, no. Vampires. <laughs> Especially his favorite organ, Zahat. Zahat? Zahat. So that's Nosferatu. Don't watch that fucking Amazon Prime cut. Please don't. Go to Tubi or... or- rent it on on itunes you'll you'll i i know prime cuts usually denote that it is going to be a fine experience but not this prime cut uh this one's a certified stinker any final thoughts on uh nose ferratu uh i think we've said at least i think i've said all there really is to be said brian do you have anything else to add to the film i mean we've certainly said more than that's said in the movie (laughs) undeniably true no yeah i just want to say uh i enjoyed this one and yeah it's it's a silent movie so there's going to be a barrier for barrier to entry there i definitely recommend the to be cut and apologize again to you christian for uh misleading you there but yeah i think this was a pretty much the only way we could have started vampire month you know loyal listeners if you do end up watching a version of nosferatu over the course of the month of october We would love to hear from you, hear what your opinions are of this film, whether you reach out to us on Twitter, email us at papaholicscast at gmail.com. Definitely want to know what you think of the film. 
I just want to say, despite that favorite atrocious card, organ, favorite title card, the Death Ship had a new captain. It's like I just yeah, want to watch this movie where Nosferatu like sails the high seas and is an actual pirate. Like, Nos- cuts to him with his like his giant vampire hands and a new like pirate's cap as he's steering <laughs> the ship into port. I'd, I'd watch oh, that movie. Excellent. Did we? Uh, uh, I know we did. We uh, we should have covered this in the beginning, so I apologize for being disjointed. But um, have have you seen the Werner Herzog uh, Nosferatu? I have not. I have not. Hmm. Um, which yeah, that's that. a remake of this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a film starring um, Willem Dafoe and oh my gosh, who else? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe would be a good Nosferatu. He, I, I believe Willem Dafoe plays Max Shrek, and it's a it's a movie about the making of the original Nosferatu. Oh, okay. Uh, which interesting. I'm very interested in seeing. I forget what the title is. Brian, do you know what it is? I don't, but I only recently found out about, because I haven't seen that either, but the, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch, which is one of my favorite horror movies, is also doing an adaptation of Nosferatu. That, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, that should be cool. So I'm super excited for that as well. Oh, that is very exciting. Dang. I'm ready uh, for It's going to be called, Look Who's Talking, Nosferatu. <laughs> you. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Pop Hogs. If you enjoyed this, then please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a ton. And if you're feeling extra generous, write a review. We read all our reviews on our weekly uploads. Those are weekly uplo- uh, Those are weekly up episodes where we talk about our favorite things in pop culture. We talk about some weekly news. And uh, that's where we do our community feedback. And that's where your review will be read aloud. So go ahead and take a moment to leave us a review there. You can... Reach out to us at popoxcast at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, concerns, guest recommendations, anything like that. And follow us on all the social media that's linked down in the show notes. Uh, follow our affiliate links as well as that helps out the show just a ton. And uh, we're going to be covering vampires all month, uh, which we're off to a great start. I mean, I'll have to say this. If there's no organ for the rest of this month, I'm going to be a pig and shit. Chris. Yes, sir. Oh, that was a real catchphrase. I should have made up one. You should have made I'll up be a, a turn of I'll phrase. be a horse and hay. I don't know. There you what, go. <laughs> Buns in the basket. Uh, Chris, what are we covering next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, excuse me. Can you say that? Can you say the that one more Francis time? Francis Ford Coppola, the Bram Stoker's <laughs> The title is ridiculous Dracula. because he titled the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's take adaptation of Dracula by Bram Stoker. I found Fran Drescher's copy. <laughs> that, of, that's basically that, that's what this is. <laughs> I found Fran Drescher's copy of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula and Fran Drescher's <laughs> Dresser. <laughs> yes, there you go, nailed it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a show. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Pop. 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 Pop.